The National Institute of Standards and Technologies has issued a draft appendix focused on privacy controls that, after reviewing comments from the public, will be incorporated into Special Publication 853, NIST Seminal Security Control Guidance. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and I'm pleased to be speaking again with NIST Senior Computer Scientist Ron Ross. Welcome back, Ron. Uh, thanks so much, Eric. Nice to be with you. Weren't privacy controls part of 853 already? What's new here? Well, we actually had uh, one control in the entire catalog. It was the one uh, that would uh, require people to do a privacy impact assessment. And for the longest time, we've been wanting to kind of expand uh, the number of privacy controls to kind of cover more territory. There's a lot of the controls in 853 cover, obviously, the security aspects for information, information systems. And confidentiality being one of the three security objectives, the others being integrity and availability, uh, confidentiality was always at the heart of privacy. So privacy really does rely on a, a solid foundation of information security. But the privacy controls go a lot further than just what we describe in the original security control catalog. Can you give us some indication what some of these controls are? These are all tied to the fair information practice principles, this international standards-based practice principles that tie back to the Privacy Act of 1974. Some of the controls that go beyond what we would typically find in a security catalog would be controls for transparency, giving privacy notice, dissemination of privacy program information, things like that, authority and purpose, authority to collect different types of privacy data, uh, specifying what purpose the data is being collected for. So if you were looking at security and privacy in kind of a Venn diagram, there's some commonality in the center of that Venn diagram, but the privacy controls do extend considerably beyond what would uh, security would normally cover. Why are you doing this now? One of the big reasons is that with the explosion of information technology, I talk about this in terms of our, our digital footprint. As we start to see more aggressive use of the information technologies, you know, the small mobile devices and things like that, security and privacy are becoming even more critical than ever. And, and we wanted to make sure that there was a disciplined and structured approach on how to enforce uh, some of the, uh, the best practices that have been around for quite some time. Having these uh, privacy practices expressed in specific control language uh, gives it kind of levels the playing field so privacy requirements can be specified in terms of these specific privacy controls and it also gives the auditors and the IGs and the folks who come along and do privacy oversight to make sure that we're in compliance with privacy regulations and OMB policies and and the actual legislation they can have more effective ways to measure whether agencies are actually in compliance. The draft states that the new controls would establish a relationship between privacy and security controls to enforce respected privacy and security requirements that may overlap in concept and implementation. What's meant by that? I mean, is there some conflict there or not? No, this is actually very interesting. When I look at the different federal agencies, and I've been working with all of them for a long time, uh, working with them in, in regards to the security standards and guidelines that we produce, it was interesting because the privacy offices and security offices usually are very separate in these organizations. Many times these individuals don't even know each other or talk to each other. What brings these two uh, kind of areas of concentration together today is the information technology. The ability to, to have good privacy today in an era where we rely 
we're very dependent upon information technology. The vast majority of information that we store, process, and transmit are in our information systems. It was really important to understand that there's a, there's a commonality amongst these controls, and the overlap was in the area of confidentiality. So in order for privacy to be really enforced uh, in a rigorous fashion within federal organizations that depend upon information technology, you have to have that solid foundation of security providing that the, the confidentiality aspects or the protection from non-disclosure, unauthorized disclosure. And from that, that solid basis of security controls for confidentiality, then with that, we now have the ability to expand to address the rest of the privacy concerns in that same discipline and structured fashion. Is there sort of a merging of information security and privacy into one organization, or, or would that eventually happen or not? It's hard to say. Uh, you know, one of the objectives here, and, and we've seen this happen a little bit already, we've been developing these controls for probably a year now with the privacy subcommittee of the CIO Council. When I talk about the new controls to privacy groups, there's actually a lot of excitement about elevating this area of privacy up to the level of security because security and privacy are very important to citizens and all the people who work within the federal government. I believe that over time, since both privacy offices and security offices both kind of rely on this bed of information technology. I do see uh, these offices coming closer together. That doesn't mean that the legislation is going to be the same. You know, we have different pieces of legislation. There are different policies that address security and privacy issues. But the folks that have to actually implement the controls and make sure that the requirements are satisfied, whether it's for FISMA or for the Privacy Act of 74 or OMB policies, those folks will probably need to work more closely together because their common ground now is information technology. If these controls were in place half a year ago, would we be seeing as many headlines about breaches and the loss of personally identifiable information as we have seen? Yeah, that's a great question. You can produce the best controls in the world, they, whether on the security side or privacy, but they really have to be specified by an organization. In other words, they have to be selected, chosen for implementation, implemented effectively, and there has to be a culture of both security and privacy within the organization. Just having the controls, I think, is a great first step to getting greater specificity for the privacy requirements. And again, I, as I said before, having more of a level playing field for assessing those controls to see if they're effective. But the hope is that with good controls, it raises the, the level of awareness within organizations as well. It also allows people to have a common language. So when we're talking about security controls, 853 provides us a common language. So when we talk about access control or identification authentication, all of us knew what we were talking about. Now with privacy controls, we have that same possibility. When we talk about data minimization and retention, data quality and integrity, authority and purpose, some of the privacy control families will now have very common language with which to specify these controls and also to ensure they're implemented. So I think it's an important first step, and the real question is uh, how effective will agencies be in, in implementing these controls once they've been approved. Privacy controls are just one component of revisions plan for 853 when it's revised at the end of the year. What else is in store for the revised 853? Well, this has been one of the most exciting projects I've worked on since the Joint Task Force started. We put out a data call earlier this year in anticipation of the Revision 4 coming out in December of 2011, and we got just an overwhelming response back from both public and private sector organizations, some of the best security professionals in the world, providing really good recommendations to us. And we're looking at a wide variety of new topics. Insider threat is one of the big ones that 
I like to talk about working with the Software Engineering Institute uh, with Carnegie Mellon. They have a great insider threat research team up there. They've been working on this for over 10 years. So we have a lot of new material that, that's coming in at their suggestion. We're talking about uh, web-based and application security. Most of our cyber attacks come in from web-based email type applications. Having better web and application security is really a top priority to kind of close down some of those cyber attacks. We're taking a look at mobile computing and cloud computing and industrial control systems. We already have one appendix in the 53 that addresses industrial control system security. But again, we're looking to go somewhat beyond that. We're looking down deep into the system. You know, we have the security stack that goes from applications to middleware, to operating systems, and down to the, the actual firmware and the hardware. We have a brand new special publication on BIOS protections. I think you can anticipate having some new controls in the area of BIOS protection, basic input-output system for those folks who are not familiar with that acronym, and then the new privacy appendix. So, uh, you know, the attempt here is to have the most robust set of security and privacy controls for our customers so they can have at their fingertips the ability to create the exact type of security and privacy plans that are needed to protect their organization's information, whether on the privacy or security side. So one size doesn't fit all. So having this kind of a catalog, I call it the parts bin, and you can go to that parts bin and, and find almost anything you need to stop certain types of cyber attacks, build more resilient systems. So it's really an exciting time, and we've had uh, great cooperation from our partners on the DOD and the intelligence community side, tapping into a lot of their expertise based on their knowledge of the threat space. It's been a great partnership, and we're hoping that this update for 53, plus our new emphasis on our 839 enterprise-wide risk management, where we're focusing on building more resilience System, starting back at the architectural level, that I think is going to go a long way toward really changing the, the whole way we do cybersecurity and risk management. Well, I know we'll be speaking again about many of these topics. Thanks, Ron. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. I've been speaking with Ron Ross, NIST Senior Computer Scientist. I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.